Hey guys, how's it going? Did you guys enjoy that lightning today? I know, I know for some people, they're like, ah, it's crazy, it's scary. I love a good thunderstorm. That's, that's one, of the, one of the best things about when I was living here in the mountains is you get some incredible thunderstorms sometimes. We got a pretty sweet one uh, today, and uh, I'm honestly just hoping that we get a little bit of lightning after dark because that's when it's coolest. So um, we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Um, hey, so, so last night we started... Uh, started this, this story of Daniel, the story of his life in exile. And we saw that, that Daniel was this, this kid. Um, I, I could say he was a man, but, but he really wasn't, right? He was 14, 15 years old. He was this kid who had everything going for him. Everything was going right in Daniel's life until one day, everything's going wrong. His, his country is taken over. He is taken away from his family, away from everything and everyone that he's ever known or loved. He's taken to this faraway land of Babylon, and he's put into this re-education program where the sole purpose of it, the entire goal of it, is to change Daniel, to change everything he has ever believed and held dear, to change him from the inside out. That was the, the goal, the purpose of this program that he was put into in Babylon. And I said last night, we were kind of looking at the, the big picture, and, and I said that part of the reason that Daniel was able to live this life of resilience over the, the decades that he spent in Babylon that we're going to see play out over the next few days, um, part of it was because he remained homesick, right? He never forgot that Babylon was not his home. He never forgot that Nebuchadnezzar was not his king. He never forgot that Bel was not his god. He remembered that his home was in Jerusalem. He remembered that his king, his god, is Yahweh, right? Is the god of the Bible, the god of creation. And so because of that, he was able to be resilient throughout his life. But it wasn't long after Daniel was brought into Babylon, that he faced his first obstacle. So yesterday we looked at that kind of big picture, but today we're going to zoom in at the first few days that Daniel spent in Babylon, the first few days that Daniel spent in exile, because it only took really no time at all before Daniel faced his first obstacle. So go ahead and open up to Daniel chapter 1, and we'll start reading there. We'll start in verse 3. Daniel chapter 1, verse 3. says this. The king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, that means his chief official, this is the, the highest servant of the king. He commanded Ashpenaz to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish or who are of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, and learning, uh, competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So he's to get these like top-tier scholarship-winning kind of teenagers and to bring them to Babylon. And we know, because it tells us in a few verses, that Daniel, as well as his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, that they are all a part of this group that is brought into Babylon. And then look at this, because in, in verse 5, we see the first obstacle in Daniel's way. 
the first obstacle, the first test of his resilience. And it says this, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. All right, so here we see this first obstacle that comes in here. Now what's interesting is that Daniel's obstacle was not being taken to Babylon. It was not having his name changed, although that was kind of spitting in his face. Um, It wasn't being taught the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Daniel's obstacle was being assigned a portion of the king's food. And we don't know exactly why. Uh, It's hard to say exactly why this was an issue, but as we'll see here in a few verses, that eating the king's food would have defiled Daniel. It's possible that that food wasn't kosher, meaning that that food went against um, some of the laws that God had given to his people, and Daniel was not willing to break the law of God in order to eat this food that the king had assigned to him. It's possible that just eating of the food from the king's table was a way that, that Daniel would be showing his um, reliance on the king, in a sense, almost worshiping the king of Babylon. That's possible. It's also possible that this food had already been offered to the idols of, of Babylon, that this food had been offered uh, to the gods that Babylon worshiped, these false gods like Bel and Aku and all the many different gods that they worshiped. That's possible. We don't really know why, but what we do know, because scripture tells us here in Daniel, is that eating that food would have defiled Daniel. And so here Daniel faces his first obstacle. The first obstacle for his resilience during his decades spent in Babylon is whether he's going to eat this food and just kind of go with the flow Just do what he's told, not rock the boat, go along with it. Maybe he knows it's wrong. Maybe he's uncomfortable with it. But the path of least resistance, the path that takes the least amount of effort, the path that risks the least is to just eat the food and do what he's told. But Daniel makes another decision because we see this in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. So I told you guys last night that I used to work in wagon train. I used to to run wagon train here at Hume, and and I talked a little bit about homesickness. Uh, That was one of my least favorite parts of wagon train was the homesickness. But one of my favorite parts of wagon train, so we do this thing on Wednesday in wagon train. We call it Wacky Water Wednesday. Do you guys remember Wacky Water Wednesday? Are any of you scarred for life because of Wacky Water Wednesday? Because the last thing on Wacky Water Wednesday is we do something we call the Whirlpool. You guys remember the Whirlpool if you've been to Wagon Train? If you haven't been to Wagon Train, let me tell you what the Whirlpool is. We get all of Wagon Train. That's like 200 dirty, stinky, muddy, uh, eight, nine, 10-year-olds. 200 kids, they get in the pool all at the same time. And then we have them all start going around kind of the outside edge of the pool, right? Like, like it's, a, like it's a, a track. 
and they go on the outside edge of the pool. They're in the water, going around the outside edge of the pool, and they start going in a circle. And everybody, all 200 kids, are going in the same circle. They start clockwise, right? And they get going, and they get going, and they get going. And when you have 200 kids in a pool, all moving the same direction, do you know what starts to happen? You start to form a whirlpool. You form a current. And that current is strong, all right? I don't know if you've ever been in a lazy river. Um, this is it. This is not a lazy river, right? This is like, a, like an overactive river, okay? This thing is like booking around. The current is going and going and going. And the reason I love this so much is because I am not in the water. I'm up on the lifeguard stand with the microphone. And what I do is I go, all right, guys, it's time to change directions. And when I say that, do you know what everyone in the pool says? Ah, because that's when the work starts. See, when you're going along with the current and you're going with the whirlpool, it's chill. It's so fun. You're like, I'm super fast. And like, I'm, I'm, who is it? Who's the guy? Michael Phelps. There it is. I'm like, I'm Michael Phelps. I'm swimming super fast. I'm like a dolphin. I'm jumping out of the water. That's what it feels like when you're going with the current. But when I say change directions, the work all of a sudden gets really hard. And you turn around and you're being pelted with this water. It's moving like 100 miles an hour. And every now and then there's like a little eight-year-old who's in a life jacket and can't keep himself. And he goes, ah, when he hits you, right? And, and it's all you can do, like even as an adult, it's all I can do to just like plant my feet and just stand. And I'm trying to move that way, but I can't. I start to go and it pushes me back again, right? Because the easiest thing to do is to go with the flow. But to stand against that flow, to stand against that current, to go the opposite way of the way that everybody is moving, that is so much work. It's so hard. And as anyone who's ever lifeguarded in wagon train can tell you, it's also a little bit dangerous. Guys, for Daniel, the easiest thing to do in Babylon would have been to go with the flow. The easiest thing for him to do would have been to go, you know what, I know I'm not supposed to eat that food, but I'm a prisoner here. I don't have any power in the situation. All right? They're forcing me to eat the food. God's going to forgive me. I, I, I just, I got to eat the food. I don't have any other options. That would have been the easiest thing for him to do. And in fact, out of this whole group of young people that is brought into Babylon, 60 or 70 young people, do you know who stands their ground? Daniel, Mishael, Azariah, Hananiah, four. Four of them stand their ground. Everybody else goes with the, with the flow, except for these four weirdos. They're the only ones who say, I'm not going to defile myself with the king's food. The word in verse eight is this, Daniel resolved. He resolved. He firmly decided. He made up his mind without a shadow of a doubt, I cannot, will not, must not defile myself. I cannot, will not, must not do what God has told me not to do. I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I have resolved that I am going to stand my ground. And even if it's hopeless, I'm going to search for another option. And that's what Daniel does. Let's read the story. He says this. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, 
he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So he goes to this high official, the king's right-hand man, and says, let me not eat this food. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Oh, great, God gave him favor and compassion. This guy's gonna grant his request, right? And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So, so you would endanger my head with the king. See, God granted Daniel favor and compassion with Ashpenaz, with the chief of the eunuchs, not, not in a way that he would grant Daniel's request, but the favor and compassion that he had on Daniel was that he didn't have Daniel killed right there on the spot. You see, when Daniel went and made this request, he was going out on a limb, and there was a very good chance, it was even probable, that Daniel would be put to death even for just asking this question. Do you see how much easier it would have been for Daniel to go with the flow? To just do what everyone else was doing? To just eat the food anyway? But no, he risks his life to go and ask. And he gets away with it. He doesn't get put to death. What does the chief of the eunuchs say? He says, Daniel, don't ask this of me because I am afraid of King Nebuchadnezzar. And if this doesn't work out, not only are you gonna be put to death, but I'm gonna be put to death too. And in fact, if me, as, as chief of the eunuchs, as, as Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man, if I'm going to be put to death, Daniel, what in the world is he gonna to do to you? So Daniel doesn't get killed here, but he also doesn't have his request granted. He's still in a situation where he's going to be forced to eat this food to defile himself before God. Daniel has planted himself, he has rooted himself, he has resolved, he has made up his mind, he has firmly decided there, there is no way that he is going to break the law of God, there is no way he's going to defile himself, there's no way he's going to eat that food. So instead of just giving up and giving in and saying, oh well, I tried, he is resolved, he is firmly planted, and so he asked someone else. It's like when your dad says no and then you ask your mom, right? That's what Daniel's doing here. Don't do that, by the way. Your parents are a team. Anyway, um, so then, this is verse 11, then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Test your servants for 10 days and let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Not the king's food, just vegetables and water. And then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And then deal with your servants according to what you see. Give us 10 days. Grant this request that we not be defiled with the king's food. Give us 10 days. And then at the end of that 10 days, compare us to those who are eating of the king's food. And then do what you're going to do. Whatever it is. Do whatever decision you make at that point. Just do it. And so he listened to them. By God's mercy and grace, this, this official who's over them says, okay, he grants their request. He listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh 
than all the youths who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and their wine to drink, and he gave them vegetables. And as these four, and as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the king, or sorry, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, there was none found like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. As therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters were in the kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So, this first test of Daniel, this first test of his resilience... Is he going to go with the flow along with everyone else, or is he going to do what God has called him to do? And Daniel resolves, he firmly decides, he plants his feet in the midst of that current, he goes the opposite direction of everyone else, even though it's dangerous, even though failure here would mean certain death, even just Asking the question was risking his own life, but to Daniel, it didn't matter. Why? Because he had firmly decided that he would not defile himself before God. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3 sheds some light on what Daniel was thinking, on what Daniel was thinking, what was going through his head, what drove him to make the decision that he made, what drove him to go against the current, go against the flow, go the opposite direction of everybody else. Peter spells it out in 1 Peter chapter 3, we'll be in verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter 3, 13 says this, now, Who is there to harm you if you are zealous, that means passionate, for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, when people talk bad about you, so that when you are slandered, those who revile you, those who hate you, who hate your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame. See, why was it that Daniel was able to stand his ground? How was it that he was able to go against the flow? He and his friends were able to go the opposite direction of absolutely everyone else, were able to risk their lives in order that they might not defile themselves like everyone else around them? Well, it's because they knew the truth that Peter mentions here in verse 14. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... Even if doing the right thing causes you pain and difficulty and hardship, even death, as it might have in Daniel's case, even if you should suffer... 
for doing the right thing, for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Daniel knew that blessing lied not with going with the flow, but with doing what God commanded regardless of the risks. He knew that blessing was found in following God. Now, does that mean that Daniel knew this would work out? Does that mean that Daniel knew that when he went to Ashpenaz that, that he wasn't going to be put to death there on the spot? Does that mean that Daniel knew that that he would that, that 10-day uh, challenge would, would work out and that he would be in better shape than all of the other uh, youths that were taken? Does that mean that Daniel knew that this, this trial would work in his favor? No. No, not at all. In fact, I'm willing to bet that Daniel had every expectation that he would die for what he was doing. But he knew that that was blessing. He knew that it would be a blessing to follow God regardless of the consequences. That even if he died, he would be blessed. Why? Because he had served his king. He had served the God who made him, who knew him, who loves him. The God who made him in his image for relationship. Look back at verse 17 in 1 Peter 3. It says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. See, the reason that Daniel was able to do that is because he feared God rather than man. The reason Ashpenaz, the chief, the chief official of Nebuchadnezzar, didn't grant Daniel's request was what? He said, I fear the king. I fear the king. Daniel, I can't do what you're asking me because I'm afraid that if I do it and it doesn't go well, Nebuchadnezzar's gonna cut my head off. Daniel wasn't afraid of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel didn't fear Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel feared God. We have to be clear about what we mean when we say fear God. Maybe you guys have, have heard that phrase before, fearing God. Maybe you just think that it's like, I don't know, a sneaker, but... But fearing God, to fear God, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that we are afraid of God like we think that God's like the boogeyman hiding under our bed who's going to get us at nighttime when the lights go out. I've heard one way that it's explained, and I think it's helpful, at least gets, gets us part of the way there, is you fear God the same way you, you fear a waterfall. Have you ever been to like a big, powerful waterfall? And you're, you're standing there and you're getting covered with mist, Right? And you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I step into that water right now, I'm gone. I don't care how good of a swimmer you are, you're done. Because you can sense, you can feel, you feel the earth shaking as the water's coming down. You feel the mist splashing in your face. You understand the power and the majesty of that thing. So when I say that Daniel feared God, I don't mean that he feared God the way the Ashpenaz feared Nebuchadnezzar. 
He wasn't afraid of him. He's not afraid that God's gonna lash out in anger. No, he feared God because he understands how big and righteous and holy and awesome and powerful and majestic and beautiful God is. He understands how big and powerful God is. How righteous and holy God is. And because he has this right view of God, he knows that the absolute last thing that he ever wants to do is to disobey God. Partially, yes, because of God's judgment, because God demands holiness from his people, but also because of God's love and his mercy and his grace and because Daniel wants to please his king. See, Daniel feared God instead of man. He served God instead of man. And so even when it meant risking everything, he had resolved that he would follow God regardless of what everyone else is doing. Daniel passed his first test in Babylon. He passed his first test by going against the flow, going against the current, even when it meant risking everything. So here's my question for you tonight. Do you pass that test? The test that Daniel passed of going the opposite direction of everything and everyone else, even at great risk to himself, of resolving in his heart that he would not defile himself, that he would not give in to what everyone else is doing, and instead he would go the opposite way, even if it cost him everything. Do you pass that test? Or do you take the path of least resistance? Do you go with the flow? Do you go with the current? Do you go along with what everyone else is doing? With what everyone else is saying and thinking and watching and listening to? With everything else that, that they're seeking? Do you go with them? Or have you resolved as Daniel has to not defile yourself and to serve God at all costs. Here's the thing, you guys. This culture that Daniel was living in, this culture in Babylon, they hated God. They actively hated the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the God of Israel. They hated God, and they hated that anyone loved him. They hated that Daniel followed God. They hated it. They worshiped these false gods, it was a culture that called good evil, and it called evil good. And you know what else? That's exactly the same as the culture we live in today. We live in a culture that hates the God of the Bible. We live in a culture that hates people who stand on the truth of Scripture, who say what this book clearly teaches, who hold it as true, as the very standard of truth itself. We live in a world, in a culture, in a country, in a day and age where this is hated. And that if you stand on it, you will be hated for it. We live in a culture just like that one in Babylon that calls good evil and that calls evil good. And I'm not just talking about the fact that you guys think mullets don't look ridiculous. I'm talking about the response that our culture has 
to the God of the Bible. They call evil good. They call good evil. We set up whole months to celebrating evil. And if you stand against it, you will be called evil. You see, our culture today is not all that different from Babylon. The only thing that's changed between your position and Daniel's is the stakes. The only thing different between your life and Daniel's is what's at stake. You see, by Daniel firmly resolving, planting his feet, and going against the flow of the culture around him, he risked his life. It had every probability that Daniel and his friends would be put to death. But for you to draw a line in the sand, to plant your feet, to turn against the culture, and to follow God, what do you risk? Popularity? Maybe some friendships, maybe some some difficult conversations, maybe some people are going to call you some names, maybe people will even hate you, hurt you, tease you, abuse you. Daniel risked his life. Why? Because he had firmly resolved that he would not defile himself lived in a culture that was going away from God, and he said, no, I'm going that way. I'm going to go against the flow. At the end of the day, this comes down to a simple question. Who do we fear? Who do we serve? Who do we live our lives to please? At the end of the day, we're all living our lives to please someone. There's someone, some group of people that we want to look at us and to go, yeah, that's a really good person. But who is it? Are you trying to please the world? Are you trying to please the culture? And so you'll do whatever they say and think whatever they think and, and say whatever they say. Or do you live your life to please the holy and righteous God of the universe who made you in his image to know, to love, to serve him? And Hebrews chapter, or sorry, not Hebrews, Galatians. Galatians chapter one, verse 10, it says this. Am I now seeking the approval of man or the approval of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus says it like this, you can't have two masters because you'll either love one and hate the other. You'll follow one, you'll serve the other. Guys, you can't have two masters. You can't serve the world and God. You can't go with the flow and follow God. You need to make up your mind. Who are you going to serve? Are you, like Daniel, going to resolve in your heart to not defile yourself by going with the flow of the world? Are you going to plant your feet firmly on the ground and fight that current, fight that flow, no matter what it risks? Or are you going to take the path of least resistance and go along with the flow of everyone else 
a culture that hates God, that hates his word, that calls evil good and good evil. Who are you going to live your life to please? Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the example of Daniel. For the example of a young man who resolved in his heart to serve you above all else, to serve you at all costs, who would not compromise, who would not give ground, who would not sin in order to save himself, in order to help himself, in order to avoid danger or persecution or pain. God, I pray that every one of us in here, we would pass that test that Daniel passed. Father, that we would plant our feet firmly, that we would resolve that no matter what the culture says, no matter what the people around us do, no matter what the current and the tide of the world that we live in, no matter what direction that's going, that we would plant our feet, resolve to not defile ourselves, and instead to seek you and to follow you regardless of the costs. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.